Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. It happened when I was in third grade in a church basement. I have no memory of what church it was. My family didn't attend, so surely it was some friend who invited me, but I don't remember who. I didn't even go back there that I don't know why. But I remember the church basement, the dim orange light, the dank underground feeling of the air, the smell of glue and paints from the arts and crafts supplies. And the teacher, an older woman uh, with the same short hair, aquanetted, tightly curled as my grandma. It happened that night that I memorized my first piece of scripture. Three guesses for which one it was. First two don't count. John 3.16. I would much later come to understand that I had memorized the King James Version. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, etc. I got a prize for being the first to recite it completely. I'm guessing a lot of you have a story like this. Well, thanks to this unknown church that I never returned to, three years later, I would understand something about my favorite professional wrestler, the notorious stone-cold Steve Austin, that I wouldn't have otherwise. Let me explain. My family may not have been religious, but we had our rituals. And from the ages of my age of about 10 to 13 years old, I and my sisters and my stepdad gathered in front of the television on Monday nights to watch WWF wrestling. My mom hated it. Now, maybe most of you have never experienced the allure of professional wrestling. Or maybe you just have more pride than I do and would never publicly admit to such a thing. But it's not hard to understand the appeal, even for the uninitiated. Imagine your favorite soap opera, just with fantastical violence thrown into the storylines. You watch professional, professional wrestling because of the story, the political intrigues and machinations and alliances, the sudden but inevitable betrayals, the over-the-top characters who rose and fell like epic heroes. And I have come to find out in my research that the late 90s was its golden era. Stone Cold Steve Austin was my favorite. Young, brash, beer can wielding, up and comer who defeated one of the oldest and most revered names in wrestling, Jake the Snake. The old guy who, in this storyline of professional wrestling, was touting himself as a born again Christian. And uh, Stone Cold, 
humiliates him in front of thousands of rabid fans. Afterwards, after the match, Stone Cold rages into the camera that Jake the Snake goes around Bible-thumping and quoting Psalms, John 3.16 all over the place. Well, he says, Austin 3.16 says that you just got whooped. <laughs> a little more colorful language than that. Austin 316 became the most profitable uh, t-shirt ever sold by the franchise, uh, WWF Wrestling. My friends and I doodled Austin 316 designs into our Trapper Keepers. My sister dressed up as him for Halloween this year. <laughs> True story. <laughs> I hadn't considered how Austin 316 and John 316 went together in my mind and influenced one another before I started preparing for the sermon, so stay with me. I've mentioned to you that I entered uh, evangelical conservative fundamentalist Christianity in my teens, and now I see some parallels between that world and the world of professional wrestling. John 316 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believeth in him shall not perish. Well, there you go. Logically, whoever doesn't believe will perish. Part of what was intoxicating about this new Christian worldview was that there were very clean lines between who was in and who was out. Who was on your side, which was happily God's side, and who was the enemy? That was a huge draw in the WWF, actually, too. And there was the same kind of drama that played itself out, like conversion, the penitent weeping in the prayer circle. But in wrestling, there's also this movement called turning heel, uh, where a good guy turns into a bad guy, and that happened in church too. A backslider, the one who went back to the parties or to the unsaved girlfriend, back to secular music, maybe back to the Episcopalians, God forbid. But when you enter an Episcopal church, you don't get just John 3.16 read to you, do you? And when that verse stops existing in isolation, it stops fitting so well into the professional wrestling schematic. A man named Nicodemus approaches Jesus. Nicodemus has heard some things about this rabbi, and he wants to hear from Jesus himself. You're a teacher from God, he says, because you've done all of these amazing signs, only possible if God's spirit is with you. The text says Nicodemus comes by night, implying, telling us that he's metaphorically in the dark, that he doesn't really understand what's going on with Jesus. What's Jesus' response for this poor, already confused man? A series of pretty bewildering images, actually. You have to be born again, or from above is another good translation, in order to see the kingdom of God. That's what he tells him. Nicodemus says, okay, <laughs> what? Well, Jesus goes on, you have to be born of water and the spirit. Okay, so tell me about the spirit then and how this will work. Well, 
Jesus says, like some new age guru. Imagine a wind that blows anywhere, wild and uncontrollable and unpredictable, and you can hear it but not see it. You have no idea what it's going to do. All right, still not really following. Jesus looks at Nicodemus like, what possibly could not have been clear about what I just told you? You're supposed to be a teacher, aren't you? I suspect Nicodemus's problem and mine, and maybe any one of you in here who find yourselves entering the text confused and then finding only deeper confusion within it, has something to do with the categories that we expect God to exhibit, to live in. Jesus rejects this instinctual understanding. So often, when we read the Bible, we take it up as a tool for perpetuating our own agenda, rather than as a story to begin to live into, to graft into, rather than, being, rather than it being something that actively works to dissolve our own agendas and self-interest. This self-interest and sense of competition in everything plays out in far more than just fundamentalism or professional wrestling or even people who can memorize Bible verses the fastest. We've been told that people's selfish, Darwinian, evolutionary, competitive instincts are the best way to describe human behavior. And we've believed it and institutionalized it, internalized it. As though altruism never actually really exists on its own. Or that any institution could have actually meant to embody grace more than just to consolidate its own power. It's how we read history, isn't it? We believed this, that the overriding question to govern the future of our children is best understood as how they'll benefit some future economy. And we have believed that creating beauty or poetry or contemplation, that dedication to wisdom or courage or generosity or personal dignity might be cliche at best, valueless next to the supposedly all-consuming drive to perpetuate one's own self-interest. Someone suggested to me this week with perfect kindness and sweetness and innocence that Priests shouldn't visit the sick so much, what with a possible pandemic on our hands. But I wonder what the world would look like if a whole bunch of people suddenly decided self-preservation wasn't their sole and foremost concern. My name will be forgotten in a hundred years, whether or not I die of COVID-19. But taking the name of Christian means that we believe deeper things live on. That what you have done in obedience to love is gathered up into those arms stretched out upon the cross. That you become a part of that perfect sacrifice for the whole world. So maybe we could reorient. It seems that Jesus is asking Nicodemus and you and me to dismantle some things, like the idea that we know 
at all what the Spirit of God is up to or what it intends any more than we can describe the wind. To see this way might be like being born again, with new eyes, a new outlook. I mean, rebirth. What a rich metaphor. Even though it might be tainted for you because you were told that it was this momentary instance in your life where you decided to become a Christian. I actually don't know of any birth that looks like that. Birth, creation, happens because of an abundance of love between people. There's gestation and formation for a long time after which you go through a brutal process of entering the world through a birth canal at terrible and dangerous cost to the woman bearing you to breathe air for the first time. If I imagine myself born again, surely these sensations are somehow pertinent. Surely I have to recognize the fact that it's other people's love and desire and selflessness and pain that makes me who I am. It strikes me also that I had very little to do with my birth at all and how terribly intimate the whole process is. John 3.17 says that the Son didn't come to judge the world. We have it in our bulletins, you heard it read, as, as condemn, he didn't come to condemn the world. But it is the same Greek word that is translated everywhere else in John as judge. It's a different feel, isn't it? To say that the Son didn't come to judge the world? To make distinctions of who is in and who is out? Who's on God's side or the enemy's side? Whether you were clever or strong enough to win? or Whether you turned heel? All of those are different riffs on the same broken story. God came to undergo the dangerous, intimate process of giving birth to the real you. And it was because God so loved the world. Amen. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.